to the Sherdog Radio preview for UFC 261, Usman versus Masvidal 2. I'm your host, Ben Duffy of Sherdog.com. I am joined right now by Keith Schillen. Keith is, of course, the executive producer of the Loudmouth MMA Podcast Network, as well as the Sherdog Radio Network, where he is also the creator of numerous shows, including MMA Past, Present, and Future, and, of course, the Schillen and Duffy Show. Uh, we will be joined for the main card by Sherdog Editor-at-Large, Josh Gross. Very excited to have the living legend uh, join us for the five-fight uh, main card. But Keith and I are going to plow through the undercard. Keith, how are you doing this evening? Dude, I'm doing good, man. I always get a little more excited when it's a pay-per-view. We got three title fights on the line. That obviously makes it excited. Getting Josh Gross, who's you know an OG of the Sherdog website, an OG of the Sherdog Radio network, someone that, you know, doing this, I look up to, you know, doing the podcast with him and TJ DeSantis and Jeff Sherwood and Greg Savage and Jordan Breen and all these guys. Like, they, those guys, it's so funny because we, you know, doing it now, me and you get compared and have people talk to me, oh, TJ did it this way. And I don't, we don't have rivals with those guys. Like, I'm inspired by those guys. If it wasn't for those guys, all these podcasts wouldn't be around, like you know, all these ones. So to have one of these guys come back on the on the network and do this, like I'm excited about that, man. Very much so. I'm I I can't wait. Uh, I'm gonna wait until Josh joins us to have more of a you know thirty thousand foot view of the big implications of the card. Uh, with you and I here, shall we just uh, kind of dive into these early prelims? Yeah. Well, I'll say this about the early prelims and pretty much the whole card. UFC has been digging into China for a long time now. Obviously, it's a it's a world power in the world, you know, the biggest population. You know, they've do extremely well in the Olympics. It's a obviously it's such a huge market to really get into. And that's what these early prelims are, especially, you know, the earliest part of the prelims. It's about how far has China MMA come in such a short time? Is it just Wei Li Zhang or is there a slew of talent? We'll find out. We will find out. Uh as Keith alluded to the first three fights on the card, at least as currently scheduled, feature debuting fighters from uh, China or Mongolia. And then the fourth one features an existing roster fighter from Mongolia. So it is an Asian invasion in the best possible way. And Keith may differ with me on this, but a couple of these debuting matchups have been, they're not softballs, but they've been set up to give you know these debuting Chinese fighters a, a chance to really show what they can do. First one out the gate is a strawweight matchup between Ariane Carnelosi and uh, Na Liang. Carnelosi, the 28-year-old Brazilian, is 12-2 and overall. She is 0-1 in the UFC. She debuted last September, uh, getting beaten, bloodied into a doctor stoppage in the third round by Angela Hill. She'll be taking on uh, Liang, the 24-year-old from China, is 13-4 and overall. And while this is her UFC debut, uh, she has fought in North America before. She was on Bellator 189 back in 2017, where she got armbarred by Juliana Velasquez. She comes into this on a four-fight winning streak, all in the uh, WLF promotion, which is probably the premier uh, homegrown promotion in China right now. Odds on this one favor Carnelosi pretty heavily. She's out there at minus 200. You can get Liang at plus 170. I'll, I'll jump in here. 
Ariane Carnalosi, she got a bad matchup in her first fight in the UFC. Carnalosi is, I mean, she is a stocky, burly little tank. She, I mean, she has the same basic build and body type as our title challenger this evening, Jessica Andrade. She has nowhere near the explosion or uh, athleticism of Andrade. I mean, she's not Jessica Andrade, but she is that stocky, just brutish, like, I think she's like 5'1", 5'2", like uh, Andrade is, and, and she is a physical specimen. Unfortunately, her debut against Angela Hill, Hill is, I mean... We've been back and forth, and certainly I can never stop talking about how maddeningly inconsistent Angela Hill can be. But if there's one thing that Angela Hill can do, it is beat the piss out of you if all you have is to march straight at her and you can't take her down. At that point, Angela Hill just becomes a Muay Thai wood chipper. That is exactly what you did to Carnalosi. This will be a much more interesting test of Carnalosi as well, even though obviously it's Liang's debut. Liang got a horrible draw in her uh, fight in Bellator back in 2017 because Juliana Velasquez is a flyweight. She is a powerful flyweight. I mean, she just won their title by basically bullying Alima Leigh McFarlane around. It do- that, that fight doesn't tell you much about Leon because for, for one thing, she was also like 19 or 20 years old there. She's listed at 5'9". I'll be interested to see how tall she really appears to be once you know we get her on the scales once we get her in the cage with Carnalosi, but she is on the tall side. Even if she isn't a five nine straw weight, I mean, even if she's just like five seven or something, she's tall. She's willowy. In twenty seventeen, she was not physically strong at all. She looks a little uh, stronger these days. She seems to have filled out her frame a little bit. But we're still talking about someone who got mauled by Maria Agapova just a couple of years ago. And Agapova is another one who is you know she's a very strong, explosive. Uh, uh, you know, physical fighter. This is a bad matchup for Leong. Most of Leong's wins are jujitsu type submissions, like submissions where she is not winning the positional battle, but she snatches something up just in a very opportunistic way. I'm not picking her to be able to do that to Carnalosi. I think Carnalosi, she, she presents as a Muay Thai fighter, but I think Carnalosi is going to be willing to just kind of take her down beat her up on the ground, not get caught in a submission, and give me Carnalosi by a pretty one-sided decision, just kind of physically overpowering uh, the fighter who's not ready to deal with it. Yeah, you made a good point that in her Bellator debut, uh, Leung, and, and I apologize, I'll start right I apologize if I say these names wrong, but I believe it's Leung, you know, draws the you know current champion, wasn't the champion at the time, but current champion. And then in her UFC debut, she she's now a you know near two to one underdog. So we talked about seeing that these Chinese fighters are getting winnable matchups, but like not odds, all of them, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like the odds are saying otherwise. Now we'll talk with, with Conalosi. I think the Jessica Andrade, besides their physique, I think the Jessica Andrade comparison is fair. Not not just based on you know obviously we're talking about a girl who's fighting for the title former champion versus a girl opening up the card there's obviously a gap in their skills and you talk about the explosion but the mindset the mindset of get inside and land power hooks in the pocket they both have the same style they both come forward they both have a very good cardio she is a bull she charges forward like a bull 
She's a big power puncher. I mean, you look at Kanalosi, she might have the biggest muscles in the UFC. Like she's challenging Francis Ngannou. Like she's she's she is <laughs> yokes. Uh, she wants to get to the pocket, like we talked about Jessica Andrade to unload um, shots. She also, like I said, she also has the high output, which is so surprising of a power puncher. To like, even though Angela Hill had such a gap in skill, such a gap in experience, movement, she was still fighting deep into that third round, throwing hard, kept pressing her. She just was doing the wrong thing because she struggles to land the power shots because she chases her opponent and starts like cutting off the cage. If she made one, I mean, and she actually was landing some good shots in Angela. If she made one little adjustment, she learned how to cut off the cage. She actually might've beat Angela Hill or, or at least made it a much more competitive than it is. Uh, and it's not all punchy with her though. She's got good calf kicks. I think she's got some good uh, body kicks. Uh, the one thing I was really surprised, and I guess I shouldn't be surprised based on her height is that she was, and it was brief moments that she was losing the clinch battle against Angela Hill. And it was due to her size. I thought her brute strength would kind of be an advantage where she can kind of muscle someone to the cage. And that really wasn't the, ca- the case. Angela Hill was getting the clinch. Landis needs getting out before uh, anything can happen. Now move over to Leong. Uh, she does have that wushu experience. She also has some high-level wrestling experience. Uh, she trains, as you mentioned, she, uh, she trains at the UFC China Academy. She also been, came to the U.S., trained in the UFC PI. So she's kind of getting some good experience with... You know, I like that she came to America first. Though, when I've watched film, I haven't seen much on the feet from her. Like, I haven't seen much at all. She looks like she just wants to get to the, the fight to the ground as soon as possible. And even though they say she's a wrestler, like, I'm not impressed with what I've seen. Now, mind you, I want to say this right off the bat. These Chinese fighters, it is hard to get film on these series. You got to, like, you got to Google the sim, I, I, the Chinese symbols. It's It's not, you can't just... You know, if you put in, you know, her name in English, you might find one or two videos. You can find more with the Chinese symbols. It, it's just tough. Uh, and, you know, it's in Chinese, too, when they're talking. So, uh, But she shoots from too far away, doesn't really set anything up. She and She's sloppy in a transition. She'll lose position, doesn't really control on top, doesn't really scramble that well if she loses the position. I saw one fight she pulled guard to get to the fight to the ground. Uh, she does have submissions off her back, and she keeps her hips moving on the back, which is something you like. Uh, I saw one fight she was transitioning back and forth from arm bars and triangles, which is really nice. And, and and that could happen here. But if Leon can get some takedowns, she could win this fight. I just haven't seen enough to feel confident that she will. I think Kanalosi is going to land some power shots on the feet. And from what I've seen in the feet, this – Looks like a shellacking. So give me Conalosi to get her first UFC win. And I actually think she might get a stoppage. So I think that the night is not going to start off right for China as Conalosi wins by second round TKO. Next up on the UFC 261 prelims is a flyweight meeting between Dana White's Contender Series alum Jeff Molina and uh, China's Chilang Aori. Uh, both of whom will be making their Octagon debuts. Molina, the 23-year-old Glory MMA and fitness product, is 8-2 and two overall. He won over Jacob Silva at Dana White's Contender Series last August, uh, took a pretty one-sided unanimous decision, and is now making his debut. 
Alri, the 27-year-old from Inner Mongolia fighting out of Shanxi, is 18 and 6 overall. He is on a six-fight winning streak, again, all in the WLF promotion. These two are dead even right now. You can get them both at minus uh, 110, so it's a straight pick them. And I completely agree, because these are two fairly unknown quantities as uh, fighters. I... I watched Molina's appearance on the contender series very closely just because he was taking on Jacob Silva, who is a local, you know, Houston guy to me. And he fought a great fight to beat uh, Jacob Silva. You know, uh, he was the taller, rangier guy. He came out with kicks right away, hard kicks that, uh, that they changed the course of the fight right away. Cause one of his first kicks almost, you know, took uh, Silva right off his feet. That changed the way Silva approached the rest of the fight. Looking at Molina's earlier fights, uh, his kicks are, in my opinion, the best part of his striking game. He prefers to keep it there when he can, but I, I've seen him uh, shoot some takedowns. He seems perfectly comfortable when he gets taken down. So he's a, a well-rounded fighter, but he's one who wants to win a distance kickboxing match is what it looks like to me. Uh, Alri, you know, Keith said it all. Uh, finding tape on uh, Chinese fighters who fought exclusively in China is uh, rough sledding because WLF is, is actually one of the few promotions that puts a decent amount of video out there. You know, once you get below the WLF level, it becomes almost impossible. But uh, Alri, also a also a, a well-rounded guy. Uh, I've seen him willing to take the fight to the floor. Uh, he's certainly not, you know, drowned when he's been taken down. Uh, submission defense, a little bit of a liability for him, but that's really much earlier in his uh, career, and it was much more seasoned fighters coming over from Russia, kind of fattening their records up on young Chinese fighters. Uh, I mean, this is kind of a pick to me as well. Just the, the difference in where they're coming from, like the type of competition they've been facing, is so great that I can't even tell whether I'm over or underrating either of them, but... Uh, I'm going to pick Molina to to be able to make this hits kind of fight and and win that fight. Uh, give me Molina via decision in a fight where he just keeps uh, Chi Lang Alri off him, uses his kicks, uses, uh, you know, his, his footwork, and just wins a fun but not particularly explosive uh, long-range kickboxing match. Yeah, so Molina's a guy that I'm very familiar with considering I do the Contender Series previews. And then at the, the other extreme, you have Ari, who you said it, it's very hard to get film on these Chinese fighters. So it's kind of, I'm coming from two different angles, someone that I know a lot about versus someone that I don't really know that much about. Uh, what I know of Molina, I think he's one of the solid additions from the contender series. He's southpaw. He's not a great athlete, but he's very technically sound. He's an outstriker, but what I like about his outstriking is that he's he doesn't sit back and just land from the outside. He'll press the action but still keep his distance because he keeps it by throwing, as you mentioned, kicks. He throws a lot of kicks up the middle, deep kicks. He'll target the body with kicks. He'll go out to the legs with kicks. Uh, he can make the mistake of throwing them naked, which will get him caught. You know, And it, I think his boxing is, is just okay. Like, there's nothing spectacular. He doesn't have a lot of – he's got decent hand speed, uh, basic combination attacks. Not a lot of power, but what I like about him is is his kicking is his main game. 
but he'll also add in takedowns. So he's pretty well rounded. I think he's got entries, you know, on the hips entries, also has body locks. If you try to take him down, he defends pretty well. It's hard to take him down. And when he gets to the ground, he looks to advance position. He's not just going to stay in your guard. He's going to move around. And he's going to move to the side mount, eventually mount. Uh, he's If he gets the back, good back control, good top control. He's got four submission wins. Uh, but he can be a little aggressive with those submissions where he'll lose position Sometimes I've seen that, but that was like you said uh, about Ari Lute getting submitted early in his career. From what I've seen, Melina, that seemed to be a little early in his career too. Now, Ari, he's a long and lengthy striker. He's very aggressive on the feet. Really steps in on shots to generate power. Long legs, long kicks. He loves to flying knees. Something to watch. Like this could be a spectacular knockout. He can land a Jorge Masvidal flying knee knockout. He does it a lot. That says. He, you mentioned the submission defense kind of improving, but I, I'm more worried about his wrestling defense. Like his his wrestling is weak, like god awfully bad. One of the fights I saw, and and man, there was one fight that he did not, he should not have won. That I saw, it was one of the worst corrupt matches I've seen. <laughs> the Chinese. The Chinese referee just kept every time he got taken down, they just kept standing him up, like almost immediately. His his opponent was a grappler, wanted to take him down. He'd get him to the ground. One point, at tw- actually twice, he had him back mounted, and the referee stopped, stood him up to the point where the, re- the guy was like, "What?" And then he also had him crucifixed at one time and stopped him in the middle of the crucifix. And then he, after clearly losing, somehow he won a decision, and I can't get that out of my mind. <laughs> Uh, I'm not like I said. I'm not very confident, as I've seen way more film of the American than I have seen of the Chinese fighter. However, I like what I see in Molina. I don't know if I like what I see in Arari. If it's on the feet, Arari has a chance because he is a good athlete, from what I've seen. However, if Molina has seen any film of Arari or some of the film that I've seen, he'll see that he has a huge advantage in the wrestling department. Now I know Molina. Is the guy who I would say, you know, if he was breaking down percentage, he's probably strikes 70% of the time to wrestling. Well, in this fight, he should probably switch those odds. And if he does, I think he wins. And I think it's it's fairly one-sided. So give me Molina and give me him by unanimous decision. Next up is a lightweight scrap between the debuting Zhu Rong and Rodrigo Vargas. Rong the 21-year-old from Sichuan is 17-3 and three overall. He is on a 10-fight win streak in WLF. All of them, or sorry, nine, nine of the 10 wins by finish. Uh, hasn't lost a fight in over three years. Now is as good a place as any to just throw out the item that while he is listed at 21, that may not be... That may not be God's honest truth. Uh, for that to be true, he would have had to debut at age 16, like right after his 16th birthday. And while that is not out of the realm of possibility, uh, it is a demonstrated reality that many Chinese fighters uh, cut age rather than wait as, as they, they come across to uh, stateside promotions. So I, I guess we'll see what happens there. But at any rate, the young man from China is on a 10-fight winning streak. He is taking on Vargas. The 35-year-old Mexican is 11-4 overall. He is still in search of his first UFC win, having lost to Alex Da Silva Coelho back in August of 2019. 
and then to Brock Weaver via a weird disqualification for a knee to a grounded opponent at uh, UFC Fight Night, Anderson versus Blahovich uh, last February. Odds on this one do greatly favor Wrong. He is minus 250. Vargas is uh, plus 210. Keith, how do you feel about this one? Well, I love that you pointed out that he could be older. Because, I mean, wasn't wasn't Mr. Miyagi like 28 when he did the Karate Kid movies? Is that... <laughs> <laughs> that's what he was... That's what he was listening to. I know. Uh, that was... Uh... I was wait wait he was from he wasn't Okinawa. from Okinawa. Was Okinawa yeah yeah so I yes. I even screwed up I even screwed up the joke and then he's and then the real actor was American uh, yes. so as into this fight uh, so Vargas I'll talk about Vargas first because obviously there's a lot more film on Vargas southpaw very aggressive but it's funny because he's aggressive but he's flat footed and kind of plodding um, but he keeps forward he actually. Reminds me of Tristan Connolly, who would have seen on this card if Tristan Connolly hit harder, because he's got nice power. He's got uh, he's got actually got a surprisingly quick high kick, and like Connolly, he'll mix in a takedown. He'll he'll look for a takedown. His last fight, uh, he took Brock Weaver down with a single leg. I saw another fight where he'll try to like catch a kick and take it down. And though he's got a lot of knockouts in his career, I actually think he's a better grappler than he is a, a striker. Now moving on to Jurong. Like you said, he's got 20 pro fights. He's 21. That's what he's listed at. I don't know. A lot of those fights, though, while it's nice to come in the UFC with 20 professional fights under your, your belt, a lot of those were against tomato cans. The guys with some really bad records. And I haven't seen much from them, but I have. I, I like some of what I've seen, and then I have some question marks on, on other things. So the things that scare me, I'll start with that. He keeps his chin high in the air. He's a weak defensive wrestler. I feel like I've said that a lot about these Chinese fighters so far. And he also has been submitted three times. Like, all of his losses have come by way of submission. What I like, he fights behind a high guard. Pretty good boxing. Uh, he's very he's a very patient striker, but when an opening is there, he'll land with accuracy. He's got pretty good snap on his punches himself, pretty good power. He also throws a lot of kicks. I haven't seen much on the ground from him, especially in the offensive wrestling. But he was in some scrambles in some of the matches I saw. And I don't know if he, if he won the scrambles, but he did okay. Like, he sometimes he'd get up. This is a really tough one. However, I'm going to go with the upset. Wrong appears to have an issue on the ground from what I've seen. And Kazula, in his last fight, was trying to get to the fight to the ground. Plus, Rong has faced some low-level guys. He's, you know, supposed to be really young. This just might be the moment that gets to him, especially if he's 21 years old. So I'll go with the underdog. I'm going to go with Kazula by decision, and I'm going to lock this in as my upset special. And if you're keeping track at home, I'm saying China's starting off 0-3 on the night. There we go. Keith, uh, with the fire early on. Uh, p- picking the pretty substantial upset. I completely get where you're coming from with that. Uh, Wrong uh, has looked impressive against some very questionable competition, uh, you know, in his last couple of years of fights. He has gotten away with some technical flaws that better fighters would make him pay for 
uh, I mean, you you pointed out uh, that he he keeps his chin too high. Uh, he kicks like a man who doesn't take on many wrestlers. Uh, those those are all things that Vargas can can make him pay for. My problem is that I'm down on Vargas. I was excited when he entered the UFC. I thought of him as I I I wasn't even sure he would ever make it to the UFC, but he was always a guy that like ugh, you know he's 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 over thirty. He's got kind of a pseudo journeyman record, but he's actually one of the tougher guys in combate. You know, his only loss in the last couple of years was to Marco Elpidio, who's uh, another just really tough regional guy in Mexico. And I thought he might quietly make a little bit of a splash, but he just, I mean, he got completely blanked by uh, Alex De Silva and then w- couldn't learn much from the Brock Weaver fight. And I, I'm just having to kind of reassess him. Like, you know, how much does he have left? You know, he's, he's in his mid thirties. He's had quite a few like just tough fights and maybe you know, wondering whether I was overrating his skills slightly, even though wrong is very much the lesser known quantity here. I'm going to pick him to, to win this by decision just by being, uh, I don't know how much younger, but presumably at least a little bit younger, if not 14 years younger, uh, fresher, more athletic, uh, you know, and, and more aggressive on the feet. I'm going to say that Vargas either doesn't choose to, or is unable to take advantage of the holes in wrongs wrestling and wrong does get by and get his first UFC win. Give me wrong by decision. We now head to the Bantamweight division for what should be a scrap between Dana Batgari and Kevin Natividad. Uh, Batgari, the 31-year-old Mongolian is 8-2 and two overall. He is 1-1 one and one in the UFC. Uh, he lost a unanimous decision to Haley Atalang in, or Alatang, sorry, in uh, August of 2019 in a wild fight at UFC Fight Night, Andrade versus Zhang. He came back and knocked out Guido Canetti with just brutally last March at UFC 248. He'll be taking on uh, Natividad. The Arizona Combat Sports product is 28 years old, 9-2 and two overall, uh, still looking for his first UFC win, having uh, lost to Miles Johns last October at the UFC Fight Night Halloween card. Uh, was a wild back-and-forth scrap until Johns caught him and just laid him out in the third round there. But he came in on quite the hot streak from LFA. Odds on this one uh, do favor the Mongolian, he is minus 185. Natividad, you can get at plus 160. Uh, Keith, walk us through this one. Yeah, this is so one of the early fights, or up to this point, this is the prelim fight that I'm looking forward to most. This is a good matchup. It's a tough one to call. I kind of like both guys. Uh, the first thing that jumps out to me when the way you say deny Betgarel uh, is. You're you're like the John Anik of the show. Like you have the pronunciation like perfect, and I'm like the Dominic Cruz, where I just say it any way possible and just <laughs> don't even know what the hell's coming out of my mouth. Well, well, as long as you're not the Phil Baroni and you just try twice and then say "fuck it" pork fried rice, like I'm yeah. I'm good with you. Okay, you know, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. it's the effort that counts. It, 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 when I used to call the Sure Dog Radio Network, that's actually who TJ Justana said I sounded like Phil Baroni, which is. <laughs> Mind you, this is a New Yorker. I'm I'm a oh. Southern New England Bostonian guy. It's like the biggest insult ever to say I sound like a New Yorker. But <laughs> <laughs> anyways, uh, as as up to back to this fight, uh, Denai 
Denai is a good striker. He's good on his feet. He uses movement well. He has fast hands. He's got a very he's very good at blitzing forward with a combination and then ducking back out of the pocket before counters come. Uh, nice left kick. Um, I'm sorry, nice left hook. I mean, his straight right is his best punch. That's what we saw him uh, knock out Guido Canetti or hurt Guido Canetti in his last fight. And he landed it on Guido and shout out to DC. DC point was pointing out is his foot position. He kept winning the foot battle, which, which lined up his right hand to land, which shows an intelligent fighter on the feet has some good power as we saw in that fight. Now move over to uh, Natividad. Natividad, he's got a lot of experience. Like even though he's, you know, I, I believe he's 0-1 in the UFC, he, he's got a lot of regional experience. He's a big bantamweight. He's a big guy. Uh, he's very physically strong. I mean, you see him. He looks at. He's a bit of a brawler, and he's a little wild, but that works for someone who's strong. You know, he he lands uh, some good shots. He draws power because he really sits on his punches. But because of that, and it's been pointed out, and they pointed out in this fight against what was it Miles Johns, that he's so heavy on his front lead leg that it's open to leg kicks, which would something that Denai could do well in that position. But he also turns his hips and throws hard leg kicks himself. He likes to be the one pressuring. He doesn't like to be the one being pressured. He doesn't really like to be forced to foot off his back foot, which is something that Denai could really do. He could force that to happen based on his um, speed advantage. But Natividad is also a good, I wouldn't say great grappler, but he's he's a solid grappler. He's nice. He gets the clinch, nice trips in the clinch, body locks. He's just solid, you know, BJJ background. He looks to advance position. Uh, he's got a lot of, like, go-to submissions. Head and arm triangle is one that I've seen him hit all the time. He likes Kamoras. That speaks to me being a very strong guy. So while I like this matchup, and I think it's a hard one to pick, a pick. I think it's a hard one to pick the winner. I don't know if it's hard to pick the outcome because one of two things can happen. If it remains on the feet for a long period of time, Denai is going to have the advantage and probably uh, hurt Natividad. If it goes to the ground, though, I think Natividad wins. It. I'm torn. But I have seen Denai getting taken down. And if Natividad you know, starts looking to close the distance instantly and turns this into a heavy grappling match, I think he wins. And I actually think that would be the right strategy for him. So I'm going to go with another upset. I'm going to go back-to-back. And I'm going to take Natividad to win by, we'll say, decision. Split decision. I, I think it's close. Split decision. Outstanding. I, I'm actually with you on this one. Uh I agree that if it stays on the feet, you know, Natividad is a brawler and Bakary is a slightly more technical brawler who seems to have a little bit more power and a little bit straighter punches. You know, those, when those things meet in the middle, typically, you know, the, the less technical like brawler is going to end up on the worst end of it. But Natividad has that wrestling to fall back on. It, it's funny, you know, I, I think of Natividad. He's been with uh, Arizona Combat Sports for, if not his entire pro career, very close to his entire pro career. And when I think of Arizona Combat Sports, like their classic model is they take a high level wrestler and they teach him to fight, they teach him to strike, they, you know. And then Natividad just sticks out like a sore thumb because 
he is a brawler who learned to wrestle and then you realize, oh wait, he's from Hawaii and then he moved to Arizona and it all makes sense when, once you get that. Uh, the thing is, the Tibidaz wrestling, it is good. Uh, I, I like his second effort, you know, his, his, his chain wrestling. He, he, he'll shoot from too far away, but he won't give up once, uh, you know, if he doesn't necessarily get it, he'll switch from a double to a single. You know, he'll try to run the pipe. He'll, uh, against the cage, like, he'll go for a, a long time jockeying for position, you know, and trying to just get under the other guy's uh, hips. I like that, and I think he'll need to do that. And basically, he'll need to return to that uh, if if he wants to beat Bakary. I'm thinking he will. I, I think he's going to come out wanting to brawl. I think he's probably going to get some st- some traffic coming the other way that he doesn't especially like. And me picking the Tivy Dad here is me picking him to be smart, make the adjustments, you know, not try to beat Bakari on his turf, but just take it to the ground and win the fight. Uh, you know, the Tivy Dad is he's an aggressive guy. He's a brawler. He wants to just scrap, but he also lost his UFC debut. And I don't think he wants to go 0-2 in the UFC in a winnable fight. So give me the Tivy Dad to play it smart, get the decision win, survive and advance. That's uh, matching upset picks on that one. The UFC 261 prelims cruise on with a featherweight matchup between Pat Sabatini and Tristan Connolly. Sabatini, the 30-year-old uh, out of Henzo Gracie, Philly, is 13-3 and overall. He is making his UFC debut, but he has been a mainstay in uh, Cage Fury Fighting Championships uh, as well as some other uh, Northeast staples such as CES and Ring of Combat. He comes in on a two-fight winning streak out of CFFC, both of them by finish. He'll be taking on Connolly, who is 35 years old, from British Columbia. He is 14-6 and six overall, and he is 1-0 and in the UFC, having made a very successful, very memorable debut against Michel Pereira back at UFC Fight Night Cowboy vs. Gaethje. Uh, in September of 2019. Uh, Odds on this one do favor the debuting Sabatini uh, pretty heavily. He is minus 230 or so. You can get Connolly at plus 190. Uh, Keith, does Connolly have enough magic in him to beat the odds again, or is this Sabatini's fight to lose? Well, one thing I'll say, I'll never count him out anymore because he was such a massive underdog in his last fight. And I don't know how far... Connolly is going to go in his UFC career, how successful he's going to be. Uh, you know, when he beat Michelle Pajera and then his post fight interview, he was, you know, he's talking about a big game. Like, oh, I was really good. I, I, I trusted myself. I believed in myself. I knew it was going to happen because of how good I am. Wait, it's only beginning. He said something like that. Well, I don't have that much confidence in him. I'll say this no matter what he does in UFC's career, like, this will be a fond memory for me. Like, this was what this was a fun, like, it was in his hometown. He took it on, I think it was five days notice. I think his, he said his post fight, like, once you see what happens when you give me six days notice or something like that. Like, it was a good <laughs> trash talk line. Yeah, it's like, it like a plus 400 underdog. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a great moment. It was just like, a, like, this is what I love about the spot. Like, there's this moment where the guy was not counted out, found a way to win. Uh, he's not a good athlete. I mean, I think he'll actually <laughs> say that himself, but he's, you can tell he's just a hard worker and he's made up for that. And his style, it's funny because a lot of times when I say someone isn't a good athlete, like my next line will be, is, well, they make it up for being technically sound. That's not Tristan Connolly. Tristan Connolly just makes up for it being insanely tough. 
and having incredible cardio, just being that like lunch pill kind of guy. He's going to get hit a lot, but he's going to keep coming. He constantly mashes forward. He has a high output, doesn't have much power, definitely doesn't have much hand speed, was hurt several times in his career, hurt several times against Michelle Behera, but he just kept showing up. And I've seen it in wrestling, the kid who just keeps showing up, get better and better and better over the years. And I think that's kind of what happened with Connolly. But there comes a time where natural talent has to be there. You know, you can only go so far. And and this might be what's happened. Now, as far as wrestling goes, he looks to wrestle. Decent entries, but the um he 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 shoot on the hips, but I don't know if they they're good shots. A lot of times, like some I've seen, they were kind of ugly. But if he gets to the ground, he's got a Brazilian just a back blow. He looks to advance on the ground. I don't know how good his top control is. Like Michelle, as, as often as he took Michelle Pair down, Michelle Pair was able to get up sometimes. And Michelle Pair was absolutely gassed. And then also he was taken down by a completely gassed out Michelle Pair in a close fight. And Michelle Pair isn't really known for his wrestling. Now he has a little bit of a submission threat. He loves his guillotine, but if he was taken down, like when he was Michelle Pair was on top, Tristan Connolly really struggled to get back on the feet. Like the second round. I think it was the second round he lost that round because oh no, I don't. I'm sorry, I don't know what round it was, but he was taken down and he didn't get back up like for, for a big big portion of the time. Now moving to Sabatini, uh, we my notes could be very similar to the first time. Like we broke him down and then he didn't fight. I wouldn't call Sabatini a great athlete, but I would say he's a plus athlete. He's got a karate style to his striking. He's got a very wide stance, thinks you know Stephen Thompson style. Loves spinning attacks. that Kind of exciting. When you break down, when you make it simple, though, and you actually look at his boxing, it needs improvement. Single strikes at a time, not a lot of power, um, throws little weird angles. I think he needs to tighten it up a little bit. Though I'll give him credit, he's got um, – I would say he's got stinging power. I wouldn't say he has, like, crushing power. Like, I know I just said not, not a lot of power. He doesn't have crushing power. So when you throw single strikes, like, you want – to have crushing power when you throw single strikes. But I like that he goes to the body and he throws a lot of kicks, especially leg kicks. And then when you look at the ground, this is a good wrestler. This is a D1 wrestler. Um, he's willing to make it ugly if he has to, grind you against the fence. He's a he's a bit of a submission threat too. He can catch a submission. When Sa- Sabatini was matched up against uh, Rafael Alves, I picked him to lose. I thought it was a good matchup. But I was taking Alves. However, in his actual UFC debut, if this actually happens, to me this is a much easier opponent. Sabatini is a way better athlete than Tristan Connolly. He's probably better uh, on the feet. He's definitely a better wrestler. And if Connolly presses the action like I expect he does, that actually could backfire on him and give Sabatini easier takedowns. I just think Sabatini is better all around. I think he's a better prospect moving forward. Give me Sabatini. I'll say by decision because of how tough Chris, Tristan Connolly is, but Sabatini picks up a win in GOC debut. Yeah, I. It's a great story. Like Connolly is a great story. Because uh, something that I forgot until I was kind of you know studying up for this matchup is that not only you know did he win and that was actually Sherdog's upset of the year for 2019. He took up $100,000 because it was the fight of the night, but Pereira missed weight. So he got both of their fight of the night bonuses. He was probably the third highest paid guy on the card after uh, Cowboy and Gaethje. Like once, once you like tallied it all up. 
like what a night for him and good because he ended up being gone for the next 18 months with a variety of injuries, you know, COVID stuff. Uh, but at any rate, the, the one X factor here to me is that Connolly on the, the regional scene in Canada was typically a lightweight. He debuted in the UFC at welterweight and ended up being welterweight plus. And now he's dropping all the way to featherweight. I mean, he's going to be like much taller than Sabatini anyway, but yeah, he's, he's not a guy that you, that you look at and it screams like plus athlete, like fighter type, you know, he's just, he looks kind of like a tall, skinny guy and will especially do so at 145. Uh, he's got a lot of submissions, but he's a submission artist of the, I don't know, poor man's Michael Chiesa type. Like he's good at taking the back. He's, you know, good at sweeps and then taking the back and transition and then locking up the rear naked joke. I don't see him being able to do that to Pat Sabatini. Uh, I agree with you. Like Sabatini is a, is a plus athlete, if not, you know, necessarily an off the charts athlete, very good uh, wrestler. And I think his striking game is informed by the fact that he can take people down if he needs to. And he's not afraid of being taken down himself because yeah, he's very, very aggressive on the feet and, and throws spinning stuff, throws kicks that could get him taken down. I expect him to take down Connolly here, not get submit, submitted and beat, beat uh, him up really badly. You look at Sabatini's record and there's a lot of submissions on there, but they are soften you up by beating the crap out of you and then choke you out submissions. I'm picking him to do that to Tristan Connolly. Uh, Connolly's extremely tough, but he's, you know, dropping way down in weight. I don't know what his, you know, gas tank strength chin will look like at that weight. Um, Sabatini is someone who probably could have been in the UFC two years ago. I think this is going to be a very successful debut for him, a bit of a showcase. Uh, give me Sabatini by third round submission, and it'll be the kind of choose your poison, you know, stay there and get TKO'd on the ground or turn your back and get choked type. We now head up to the middleweight division for a up-and-coming uh, prospect matchup between Brendan Allen and Carl Roberson. Allen, the 25-year-old Rufus Port product, is 15-4 and four overall. He is 3-1 and one in the UFC, uh, having made his debut out of the third season of Dana White's Contender Series back in 2019. He got off to a great start with uh, three straight wins over Kevin Holland, Tom Brees, and Kyle Dawkins before uh, being part of the spectacular comeback story of Sean Strickland uh, last November at UFC Fight Night Felder versus Dos Anjos. Uh, Strickland uh, came back from his uh, four-year absence from the sport and knocked him out in the second round. He'll be taking on Roberson. The 30-year-old from New Jersey is 9-3 and three overall. He is 4-3 and three in the UFC. He fought most recently last June, losing via first round rear naked choke to an extremely angry Marvin Vittori, uh, who was mad that his blown weight cut, Roberson's blown weight cut, had forced their fight to be postponed. He trashed a hotel lobby in protest, and then when they finally did fight, he trashed Roberson. Despite that, uh, odds are pretty close on this one. Allen is out there at minus 140, minus 145 as the slight favorite. Roberson plus 120 plus 125 or so as the underdog. Keith, uh, who do you have in this one? It's two guys needing to get back on track. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's 
that intrigues me and intrigues me because both are, you know, fairly young, especially Brandon Allen. He's very young guys who has shown at times some pretty good skill sets. And one guy would be kind of right back in the mix, you know, that just outside the top 15 mix. The other guy's going to be kind of buried. And I also think it's a fun stylistic matchup. This is one of the fights on the entire card that I'm very intrigued. Now, I'll start with a young guy, Brandon Allen. What I love about him, he's got tons of experience, and he's only 25 years old, which is really surprising. I always have to keep checking his age to see if that's still true. <laughs> he he isn't a great athlete, but similar to the guy we just talked about, Tristan Connolly, he makes up for it by being insanely tough. He has a high output. He's a pressure striker. In, you know, in his striking game, he fights behind a high guard defense. So he keeps his high, hands up high, and he's not scared to eat a shot to land a shot. He does stand up pretty high. He's kind of a little bit of a stationary target right in front of you, which I don't like. I would like a lot more lateral movement, but some people just aren't that athletic enough to really, you know, he'd more waste his energy moving laterally than I think than he could avoiding shots. I would say his good power. And what I like about that is he's just 25. Like he might just now be entering his power years, you know, with guys gain power. So we might see more knockouts coming from Brandon Allen. Uh, he does make the mistake, and he'll definitely get more power if he can clean this up and he'll save a lot more energy. If he stops lunging, he lunges a lot. He overextends a lot to land a shot. He he kind of has a little bit of we talked about what, the bad about Robert Whitaker when you get hit. He's always trying to land one back, even if his opponent's already out of range. Against an elite, elite striker, he's got to get put out for that. You know, if he if he went against it was Adesanya, Adesanya would terrorize you if you did something like that. <laughs> As he did Robert Whitaker, when Robert could have tried that. Uh, not that obviously, I'm not saying he'll be fighting Israel Adesanya anytime soon. Uh, what I also like about him, he's not just a puncher. He throws a lot of kicks, hard calf kicks. He, even though he lost his last fight to Sean Strickland, he had success in that fight by chopping the legs of Sean Strickland. I'm a little worried about his chin, though, uh, based on getting knocked out in his last fight. I'm always worried. And it's not necessarily about Brian Allen. I'm always worried about guys after they get knocked out. Are they going to be gun shy? Or they, will it just crumble? Some people, their chin never recovers. Uh, so we might see more of a heavy wrestling game than Brian Allen. He's always got that has a heavy wrestling game, especially if he can back you up towards the fence. He'll kind of throw in. But he's not a clean wrestler. He's kind of sloppy on the ground. Uh, he'll chase the sub but miss the position. You got these kind of scrambles. He gets a lot of these. And they're not like fun NCAA finals, you know, two top-level guys scrambling. It's not that. It's like guys losing position scrambling, kind of ugly. And I've also seen him give up his back to get up to his feet, which is a big no-no. Now, I don't think Carl Roberson is the guy that will make him pay for that, but moving forward. Now, Carl Roberson, very athletic. He's a great striker. He's a guy that was you know on the K-1 scene for a little bit. Southpaw, nice power, fast hands. He's got good movement. He moves well. He's he's kind of has two styles, which I love about this. When Usually when you talk about striking – guys will have one defense. The elite has multiple. I mean, Israel Adesanya does pretty much all the defenses. What I love about Carl Robinson, he has two styles. He has a very slip-heavy style, 
where you know he's slipping his head to the side, you miss, he lands. Something that you know you see Conor McGregor doing. You know he kind of has more of a feedback than a do your normal dipping down style. Or what I like about it is he he'll stop and then he'll parry. So when you start when you're thinking you're trying to attack the head, now he's standing up and he's using you know your shots and countering. So he can get do two things. Where I really like that about Carl Robinson, great leg kicks. He's got a quick high kick. So his striking's very good, very technically sound, very defensively sound. But I think he's a better grappler than he gets credit for. He's got four submission wins on his record. He's got a pretty good scramble game. At one point, he had Marvin, you know, going to talk about one of the best middleweights in the world. He actually had Marvin Vittori's back at one point. You know, he lost the scramble, you know, got in a couple submissions by Marvin Vittori. But he had the, he was creative. He was running up the, up the cage to get out. He was fighting it. And Marvin Vittori is a guy that we talked about having an underrated grappling game. Cardio is an issue, though. He slows down a bit. We see him slow down in fights. So, one... I'm still worried that this fight even happens. We've seen Carl Robinson struggle. It's back down to 185. He might not make the weight. I really hope he does. Hopefully it's just, you know, a couple bumps in the road. But if this remains on the feet, Robinson's going to have, in my opinion, going to have a big advantage. If it hits the ground, I don't think Allen has as big advantage on the ground as people think. I think Robinson is underrated on the ground and could make it interesting. And just going by my gut, I think Allen might be a little overrated on the ground. I think he's going to make a mistake. I think he's going to be a little blockheaded. I think he's going to come after Robinson on the feet. I think he's going to be too aggressive. I think Robinson's going to make a pay for it. I think Robinson might put him out early. Give me Robinson, my first round knockout. All right. We have some dissension. Uh, I Obviously, I'm worried about the same things about Robinson that you are. You know, in his last two scheduled fights, he had such a horrible weight cut that he had to go to the hospital and the fight was scrapped entirely. They remade it a month or so later. He didn't go to the hospital. Well, he didn't go to the hospital before the fight. It looked, he might have gone afterwards, but he blew weight by like five pounds. So question number one is, does he make 185? Question number two is, if he does, what does he look like? Uh, I agree with you that, I mean we're probably a little too hard on his ground game, but we're talking about a guy that if his ground game were just a little better, he would be the guy that stepped in on a week's notice and finished Glover Teixeira in the first round. I mean, imagine how different the conversation around Carl Robertson would be right now. How did I forget about that? Yeah. How did I forget about that? Yeah. Yeah, Like he he gave him Travis. Yeah. Up a weight class, seven days notice, gave him some Travis Brown elbows, put the old man down was in mount like this thing was almost over and Glover Teixeira just did Glover Teixeira things tough as nails survived and once he had his wits back he swept Roberson in you know a flash and this was over one that makes me want Robertson just to stay at 205 dude stay at a weight class that you can step up on a week's notice and look that good don't keep killing yourself to make 185 anyway uh I agree that he's he's a really good striker. Like it's it's fun to watch him in fights that uh, that stay on the feet. Allen, I'm still high on Allen despite the the Strickland loss. Uh, to, to me, I mean, I'm and I'm not trying to impose some like storybook narrative onto this. I'm just talking about people's actual momentum, like just them being in the zone. But Sean Strickland was kind of a man of destiny last year. 
Like he came back and he just looked so good. Uh, I, you know, I think he would have beaten all but a very few middleweights in the division in, you know, in, in that fight, just as, as good as he looked. And if you if you look back at where Allen was before that, he's got some good wins and he's got some wins that have aged well. You know, like choking out uh, Kevin Holland looks really good now. The guy he beat on the Contender Series to even get to the UFC, Aaron Jeffrey. Aaron Jeffrey's probably going to be in the UFC himself this year. He's won four straight since then. I, I think he's won belts in like two regional promotions. Like they're they're good wins. Uh, I'm. I'm picking, I, I think you're right, like in the general rhythm of the fight. I, I think uh, Allen's probably going to be in some trouble early. Uh, Robertson's a fast starter. He's a much better striker. He has more power. He has faster hands. He has good kicks. I'm picking Allen to survive and for this, like the ball to start rolling downhill the other way as Robertson gets tired and, and Allen does not. So give me Allen by decision in a fight where he loses the first round and wins the second and third. And hell, if he gets beat up bad enough in the first round, we might even be looking at a draw. But hell, if I'm going to pick that, you know, if I wanted to pick that. Pick it. Yeah. Pick it, man. Well, what I'll do is I'll put a few bucks on it at like plus 1,800 or whatever it is. And, you know, know, if not, well, my kids can always go to community college. We now have a welterweight matchup between Dwight Grant and Stefan Sekulich. Grant, the 36-year-old, is 10-3 overall. He is an even 2-2 two two in the UFC, uh, having competed just once last year and lost via first-round knockout to Daniel Rodriguez at uh, UFC on ESPN Munoz versus Edgar. That put an end to a two-fight winning streak for him over Alan Joban and Carlo Pedersoli Jr., uh, you may recall that that was the one, the decision that had Alan Joban calling out all the judges and extremely, extremely upset. Uh, he'll be welcoming uh, Sekulich back to the UFC. Sekulich, the 29-year-old Serbian, is 12-3 and overall. He is 0-1 in the UFC. Uh, he debuted back in September of 2018, lost a one-sided decision to Ramazan Ameev, and then promptly... Uh, failed his drug test, uh, drawing a two-year suspension. This is his return. Uh, he is a bit of an underdog in that return, as he is plus 185, and you can get Grant around minus 220 or minus 225. I'll I'll be honest. There there are two things that are that are weird here. It's weird that Sekulich looks older than Grant, even though Grant's like seven or eight years older. And I I was surprised when Sekulich made it to the UFC in the first place, I was just kind of like, what is, you know, what is this guy for? Um, and if he's just here to kind of, you know, be a guy and uh, put over a prospect that we're really interested in, why are they bringing him back after two years? Just, um, Grant's a, a funny one. He's a 36 year old man that just the way he fights and the way his cut last, well, certainly the way all four of his UFC fights have looked, he just has the look of like a 26-year-old who's still a prospect on his way up. He has the record of a prospect, you know, came to the UFC at like 8-1, and one, uh, you know, with some, some good-looking wins, some potential, flattened the dude on Dana White's Contender Series. And he's, he's had his ups and downs in the UFC. But there's just something about him that looks like a prospect still learning his trade to me, even though he's 36. That's got to hit the wall at some point. But I'm still picking him to be a guy that makes noticeable improvements 
from one fight to the next. Uh, you know, he got knocked out pretty quick in his last fight, but it turns out that Daniel Rodriguez is pretty damn good. Uh, Sakulic, on the local scene in Serbia, he was a guy that was good enough on the ground that, you know, he just tapped people out left and left and right. He wasn't a great wrestler, uh, but was able to get the fight to the ground or, you know, certainly if, if he was taken down and, you know, he's got, uh, good front headlock series, uh, good back takes. He's, he's, he's a good grappler against Ramazan Amev, Like he had nothing for him. You know, Amev was the better wrestler, better grappler, better, better striker. He's going to be bigger and stronger than Grant. And certainly, you know, if he can get his hands on Grant and just turn this into kind of a slow paced, uh, grappling match on the ground like certainly if he can get takedowns and get top position which is what he greatly prefers he could beat grant but i don't think he's going to be able to get it there uh i think grant's going to knock him out uh give me grant by first round knockout wow first round um so i mean this is a tricky fight because you know we haven't seen a guy fight in you know like two and a half years as you mentioned dwight grant it's just, yeah, you seem a little higher on him than I am. We talk about his style. He's got really long arms. That's like the only thing I, I always notice about him. Uh, he, uh, he has a very unorthodox style. Throws from his hips. He is pretty fast, even though he has, you know, throws from his hips. He hits hard, and that's because he swings wildly. He's trying to hit a home run every single time he throws. He tends to lunge and overreach at times, as as you see that he almost knock himself over throwing so hard. His straight right when he when he tightens it up a little bit though, his straight right is a really good punch. That's the one that he, I I think that was the one that he hurt Danny Rodriguez with. Uh, his check left hook when he tightens it up is a good shot. He's got some hard body kicks, but he makes a mistake of loading up on everything, which obviously if it connects it helps, but it's easy to to avoid shots that way. It gashes you out. He also keeps his chin very high, uh, which is going to get him cracked. I mean, Danny Rodriguez cracked him. He's not much of a wrestler, but if he ends up on top, I he's strong. He's got like an okay top control. He's a weak defensive wrestling. Uh, I think uh, Zach Otto took him down a bunch of times. Alan Joe Mann, who isn't known for his wrestling, took him down several times. Move over to... Uh, <laughs> it's been a long time I... Sekulich, right? Is that mm-hmm. how I say Perfect. it? Okay. Yep. Yeah, that's this this I gotta ask my the residential John Anik of the show. Uh <laughs> Southpaw, he's a counter striker. He uses feints well to draw the attacks. Decent power, but he doesn't handle pressure well. He gets backed up to the cage when getting pressured. Uh if he closes a distance, he likes trips, does have a strong top control, will uh, as you mentioned, he likes the head attacks. We'll jump on a guillotine as there. has six submission wins. Who do I think is going to win? I'm really torn on this. Grant has been good at times, but then he's very inconsistent and looks bad at times. Uh, he's been gun shy. I mean, like you take the Alan Joban fight. It, it looks like a good win because he beat Alan Joban, who's a solid fighter, but that fight was terrible, and he was very gun shy. And then he also has a huge Achilles heel in his wrestling. However, Sekulic... As you mentioned, wasn't a very high level UFC fighter when he you know came into the sport and then like almost three years later, am I supposed to think he's gonna be? I mean, he is twenty nine now, so he very well could have improved a lot. 
I'm just going to go with Grant. I, I don't know if he lands a shot. You said he's, yeah, you're predicting he does. I think he has a very Tyron Woodley style. Not that, not, I shouldn't say style, but chances. Like he gives himself Tyron Woodley chances because he doesn't throw enough and he throws everything in one shot. So he limits his chance of getting a knockout. But I think he can still land some shots from the outside and win. So just give me Grant. I'm not very, this is the one I don't have. I probably have every fight in the card. That's probably my least confident. Oh, maybe the Kazula one is my least confident. That's probably my second. Give me Grant by split decision. That brings us to the feature prelim of UFC 261, and it is Cowboy versus Rude Boy as Alex Oliveira and Randy Brown meet in a welterweight matchup. Oliveira, the 33-year-old Brazilian, is 22-9-1 with uh, two no contests in his UFC career. He is, ele- or sorry, in his overall career, he is uh, 11 and 7 with one no contest in his UFC career that has spanned the lightweight as well as welterweight divisions. He will be meeting Brown. The 30 year old Jamaican is 12 and 4 overall. He is 6 and 4 in the UFC. Uh, Brown is the slight favorite here. He is minus 150. You can get Oliveira at uh, plus 125, plus 130 or so. Uh, Alex Oliveira. When you look at him now, it is hard to believe that guy ever made, uh, he ever made lightweight. Like, he's not the tallest welterweight in the world, though he is like 5'11 or 6 feet tall. But he's just, he's got long arms and legs, he's got broad shoulders, he's got plenty of muscle on him. And more importantly, he's a strong guy, even at welterweight. I just feel as though just about every time he and another welterweight get their hands on each other, like he is able to push them around and do what he wants to do with the fight, like win or lose. Like I was shocked uh, that Shavkat Rachmanov just ran him over on the ground uh, so effortlessly in their fight, because that was really the first time I'd seen someone do that to him uh, in the UFC, just, you know, physically, physically bully him. I'm going to go on the assumption that that was a bit of an aberration and Rachmanov is just that good a prospect and Oliveira is still a, he's a plus fighter at welterweight in terms of strength, physicality, athleticism. Uh, you know, he has a game of kind of mismatched bits and pieces on the feet, I feel. Like, he throws really hard punches, but not always in combination, doesn't have much of a jab. He has great kicks, just really hard kicks to the legs, body, uh, that he tends to throw them early and often. So if the fight goes long enough, they, they do sometimes become a factor. Uh, on the ground, you know, he's very, you know, he's, uh, he's a, a capable submission artist in his own right. And, uh, except for against the very better grapplers he's fought, like he's, his submission defense hasn't been much of a liability. Uh, looking at Brown, his record in the UFC, it's six and four. And I think it's deceptively bad because he got thrown into pretty tough matchups right away. They, they looked at Brown, they looked at his fight style, and they kind of threw him into that round robin of action welterweights that, you know, were kind of borderline contenders. Like, he just got thrown in there with the Nico Price, Vicente Luque, Bilal Muhammad, and those guys for about three years all fought each other at least once. Several of them fought each other twice. And Muhammad and Luque kind of floated to the top of that, and Brown kind of sank to the bottom. But it doesn't mean that Brown's a bad fighter. Uh 
good striker who makes good use of his length. He's incredibly tall, long arms, long legs. My problem with Randy Brown is that he's a terrible defensive wrestler. And I we don't even realize how terrible he is because in that whole four-guy round robin, most of those guys just wanted to slug it out. Uh, otherwise, I think his wrestling would have been much more exposed than it has been. Uh, I'm expecting Oliveira, who, you know, he's certainly shown himself willing to take the fight to the ground if it suits him best. Like, he's a wild man in his personal life, but, you know, he does usually fight to his best advantage in the cage, you know, so he can bring those checks home to his, his nine children by nine different women, uh, and none of them blow him up with a grenade on New Year's Eve. Uh, give me Alex Oliveira to take down Randy Brown. Uh, you know, maybe early. Maybe he'll he'll start trying uh, to get him, you know, to trip him or even shoot takedowns in the first round. But by the second round, get Brown to the ground. Just run game on him there. Like, beat him up and get a submission. Give me Alex Oliveira by submission. Probably rear naked choke in the second round of this fight for this light upset. It is not my upset special. Wow. Saving that one for Jessica Andrash, I think. Uh um, this is a good, another good matchup. This is, as you, I think you broke it down the placement really well, like where these guys place right now in the division, where Randy Brown stands. I think that was really good. Randy Brown would probably be a ranked opponent if he was a middleweight, you know, based on his skill set. I'm talking about, obviously not, his, you know, you blow him up, but being in the division he is, it's one of the most loaded divisions. It's very hard to get into the top fifteen. Especially even hard to get in the Sherdog top fifteen when we add in. You know, Bellator and other organizations, fighters. So I'm intrigued by this. So I'll start with Oliver. Oliver's he's a good athlete. He's elusive. He's got a pretty aggressive style, but it's it's very unorthodox striking style, very similar to the guy we just talked about, Dwight Grant. He also throws from his hips. He lands from weird angles. That's because his hands are low and kind of to the side. He and he also is built like him. He's got long arms, long legs. His punches kind of loop. They're looping shots a lot, kind of similar to. And, and guys, I always hate to I always hate to make comparison about like mid card guys to like upper guys, and especially the person I'm going to say, legendary guys. I'm not saying he's as good as this person was, but he fights similar. His looping style of punches is similar to the way Fader threw. Fader never threw really straight punches. They kind of came from a weird angle, and he almost gets whip on them because they come from a weird angle. It's not like going through. It's like a, it's like a whip. It comes from a weird angle, and it generates a lot of power because of that. He's when he stays tight. When he wants to work, he wants to work. So he can do that kind of wild game, or he can work from the outside, as you were talking about, like slow it down, fight more conservative, and he does it right there. He's got a long jab. As you mentioned, he hits hard. He can be drawn into a brawl, which would be the smart, but he can throw teep kicks, body kicks. He'll entertain the crowd with a you know crazy spinning attack. Uh, I've seen flying knees from him. Like you never really know what you're gonna get. When you're getting close, though, I feel like this is the best Alex Oliveira. Not on the ground, not on the feet, but in that clinch area, the dirty boxing area. He'll slice you with an elbow. He's very physically strong, would just grind you against the fence, hit you with a shoulder strike, stomp on your feet, just kind of be mean and and nasty, and, and that works for him. It, he's hard to take down. He's, he, I wouldn't say he's a has good entries, 
but he's a guy that'll just muscle you against the cage and then just drop down on the hips, you know, whereas his opponent's going to be kind of, you know, trying to widen their base and he just kind of gets that who's stronger point. And a lot of times he's going to win that. He's got good ground and pound. The thing is, his cardio has faded and it's kind of faded a little bit lately, which is troublesome moving forward. Moving on to Brandon Brown, it's funny because I've always thought of him as like a young prospect, but he's guy's 30 years old. Like he's not a prospect anymore. This is his prime. He's tall. He's long and lengthy. He's elusive. He works behind a long jab. I say it's a fast jab. He kind of throws an up jab. He throws it down, the, the, you know, Floyd Mayweather style up jab. Throws a lot of kicks. He's open to calf kicks or open to really all leg kicks because he's got these huge long legs. Vincente Luque dropped him with leg kicks, just chopped away at him, really affected him. He makes the mistake of keeping his hands really low, which the guys who keep their hands low, they're always doing that for two reasons. One, and I kind of understand this, when you keep your hands low, nothing's kind of blocking your vision so you see things, and that actually helps with your head movement. And the way you are, when you keep your arms low, it helps you flow a little bit easier, but it's like you're also playing with fire because you're taking away one major defense coming in. He's strong in the plum clinch, Due to his height, he'll, he'll grab that knee. Um, he kind of has a Michael Holland style in there. Like, he's strong in there based on his high style, but he'll also, like, get in there and just, like, palm strike you in the ear drum. He will look for takedowns, and he has a very, like, Michael Chiesa style where he doesn't have great entries. Like, he'll be sprawled on him. Because he has such long arms, he'll still get behind the legs and can finish the takedown. And he also can get takedowns from the body lock. You get on the double underhooks and just twist the hips, turn the corner. I don't know if he's a strong grappler in the sense of like grind you out Habib style. He really needs to improve his top control. But he has over the years improved his get up game. If you take him down, um, he's done much better to get up. He has four submission wins, but I'm worried about his chin a little bit. As like we just talked about Brandon Allen, he was knocked out in his last fight. And he wasn't just knocked out. Vincente Luque rocked him several times before the knockout. So he's took a lot of damage in that fight. So as far as who I think is going to win, you went with Cowboy. I understand why. Cowboy's a tough out for anybody. He's. I was talking. Someone was talking on Twitter today, and they were just mentioning guys who, are, regardless of their record, you know when you get in the cage with them, it's going to be a tough matchup. And I think Cowboy fits that perfectly. He can just really, if he makes it a grinding affair, I think it's going to favor him, or if he just lands a big shot. However, I feel like Oliveira, for once in, in, in a really long time, he's not going to have the length advantage. He's not going to have the speed advantage. He's not going to have the athleticism advantage. And I don't know how he adjusts to that. So I feel like Brown is at the point where he's still improving and Oliveira might be starting to decline. So give me Brown. I think this is going to be one of his big moments. We're going to go do- opposite sides. I'm going to say Brown wins. And I'm, I actually think he's going to – he might light him up a little bit. So I think it's going to be a pretty decisive victory. Give me Brown – I want to take a stoppage, but Oliver is so tough. I say it makes the decision. Brown by one-sided unanimous decision.